I think the higher you are paid, the higher you are on the organizational chart, the more it matters who you are, not what you can do. People leave managers, they don't leave companies. And so I had to look in the mirror on that every day and say, am I someone that is worthy to follow? I always said, and I grew up with, a, with, with mentors and people that always said, if, you, if you're not willing to do it, don't ask someone else to do it. Hello, everyone. Just kidding. This is Chris Powers, and I want to thank you for joining me on the Fort Podcast. This show is an open-ended discussion and journey telling the stories of leaders, founders, CEOs, and people making an impact through business, investing, and entrepreneurship. We take an unconventional approach that leans into thoughts and ideas that aren't often publicly discussed. We'd love to hear from you at thefortpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you again. Chris Powers is the founder and CEO of Ford Capital. All opinions expressed by Chris and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Ford Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for real estate or investment decisions. So today, um, could not be more excited to have just somebody that I admire. I I can't even explain how much I admire Pete Chambers um, with me on the podcast today. Pete and I have a uh, very unique relationship, and a lot of these episodes have been geared around um, a lot about business, how to build a business, how to do a lot of great things in business. And this episode will be similar to that, but in a different way. What Pete has taught me, and I think a lot of folks could recognize this point, is that sometimes it can be all about business, and you forget a lot of other things. And so Pete invited me into YPO three years ago, um, has shared, we share probably at least time together every week to two weeks. And we talk a lot about things outside of business and how to build a life that is balanced. Um, Pete recognized really early on in his life that if he was not intentional about his family, about his faith, about things outside of the office, that he might look up one day after having a huge win AKA maybe selling his business um, and look around and have an empty life. And so I think in a world today where it's so easy to get wrapped up in your business and care more about things that you might regret you cared too much about later on in life, Pete has been the model example for me. So we literally meet every Friday, every other Friday. Um, we've, We've gone on retreats together. We've spent a lot of time thinking And so today's episode will be a lot about the stuff that we talk about, how Pete has kind of set his life up and been intentional from a very uh, young age. Pete did sell his business. Pete had a great financial success and he's done wonderful things in business. But I think today you'll learn that he would give a lot of that credit to the things he did outside of the office that helped drive him there. So without further ado, Pete Chambers, thank you for joining me today. It's great to be here, Chris. Uh, I've been listening to your podcast, and I look up to a lot of the guys that, that you've had on here yep. and have learned a lot and, and continue to learn a lot from you. So it's a pleasure to be sitting here with you looking at you <laughs> in that cool uh, headset and this cool <laughs> microphone. Thank you. We are in Fort Worth's first public podcast studio. So this is the second episode I've done here. So I'm going to start. Um, one of the things that, that Pete and I started talking about really early on um, it was something that you did intentionally 
was you recognized either in your late 20s or early 30s that there were things that you had, there were seeds you had to start planting then in your life that would take a long time to manifest, but it would set you up for what you called the second half of your life, which is kind of call it a post 50 era. How did you begin to have those thoughts and why were they so important to you like really early on? Well, I think it actually started before my career. Um, I'm the only son of a great CEO. Um, my dad uh, is my, my uh, mentor uh, and, and an idol of mine. Um, and so, you know, I got a, a, a front row seat to watching someone do what we love to do, which is run businesses and figure out life. And so I have three sisters and I have a mom. My dad's from all brothers. My mom's from all girls in East Texas. And uh, my dad's from Fort Worth. His mother was German and he's a, he's a strong guy. Yeah. And she's a sweet East Texas girl. And so I grew up, I was at home. So yeah. I got a really good dose from my mother as to her view of what was going on in my dad's career, good and bad. And, and yet my dad was my idol. He took me everywhere. I grew up in business. I've been in business meetings since I was able to walk. I have pictures of me and plants. I have been in my, I've been playing golf with executives because my dad was kind enough to take me along. I don't know if he had to do that to babysit me or <laughs> what, but he involved me. And so my opinion started to shape early because the sacrifices that my dad make, made to build a business and to take advantage of an opportunity that the market was giving him uh, and to live the American dream had some pressure on the home life. Yep. And so I was at home getting an ear full for my mother, the good, bad, and ugly. And, and, and as anything else, usually the, the ugly and the bad is what you remember because it was painful. And so it hurt me. It hurt me to see my mom disappointed and, um, and sad when he would maybe choose to not be home for dinner or something like that, of which we've all made that mistake if you're running a business and trying to beat your competitors and, and stay alive and to stay profitable. And so I don't, I don't, you know, punish my dad for, for that. It's just life. Yep. And yet you can do that to a point where that can cause pain that can have major consequences. And fortunately, my parents are celebrating 56 years right now of marriage and we've made it as a family <laughs> and they've made it as a marriage. And I'm just so fortunate. But Chris, it started back then yep. because I didn't, I said, if this is success, if this is what it's like to be in the home of a successful entrepreneur, I'm not sure I'm in. Yep. And so that was the beginning of my search for, for help. And, you know, my kids are going to go to counseling for something I'm doing wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we all, we all, you know, you, your parents aren't perfect. Yep. And so I was started to be curious as to, is there a man that is killing it in the workplace, but also killing it at home? And I started searching at a very young age to find those men. And, and I found Bob Buford, who was a YPO member who was in Dallas and who had started this think tank around halftime, you know, which is, is literally, it, it, I would call it a think tank ministry uh, because it has a faith component to it. But it was a, a guy very similar to you and I saying, I'm searching for those answers as well because he had been successful in business, but he knew that, and, and this is what changed my life, Chris. I saw a bell curve mm -hmm. and he was drawing it. And it was like the entrepreneur was an, uh, a pilot 
you know, on a killer jet yeah. racing up the mountain. If you're not a, a, a fighter pilot as an entrepreneur, you ought to check out. Right. You ought to hit the eject button because it takes everything you have to be successful. Yep. And it takes, um, I'm not saying I'm the smartest kid in the classroom. Uh, I'm far from that. But uh, you better have some slant on life and you better be multidimensional or you will probably not reach your potential or, and you should go to work for someone else. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Yep. Um, however, this fighter pilot was going up the curve and it was basically the success curve. And at the top, I usually when you reach the top of the mountain, um, what are you left with? What are you sitting with in your hands? And, and his research showed that the guys were mostly all sitting with a bank full of money, but the casualties that they experienced on the way up, the ones that really burned it, revved it too hard, right. had casualties that they weren't, you and I talk about the difference between happy, happiness and joy. Yep. They weren't either one. They were, they were like, man, I'm not sure this was it. And it changed my life. And, and I said, I set out to say, well, why do you have to wait till you're successful and rich because you have time and freedom to figure these things out? I think most of those guys would rather, they, they gave half to their ex-wife anyway. Right. So go back down the curve. If the success and the top of the money chain was up at the top of that curve, go back half anyway, because that's what they ended up with. Right. Would you rather have 50% a happy wife, a happy God, a happy wife, and a relationship with your children? And I think for me, that was my goal. And so that's what I set out to try to accomplish because I knew the end already right. um, was not successful for those guys. And so I'd be a fool to repeat it. And so when you met Bob or you sought him out, what was next? So you found this guy that had done this bell curve and like we've talked about so many times, you've gotten to the top of that bell curve and everything believes you is a disaster, but you have this pile of money and you realize that that's really not making you happy either. Um, what did you do once you sought him out and, and frame it in a way that's that for, for guys that are at a similar age, late twenties, early thirties, like what should they do if they find their Bob Buford or, or what can they be doing? Well, you know, you can imagine a guy like Bob um, getting stalked. I, I stalked him. I mean, and who I was, is Bob? Bob Buford um, is a man that is no longer living. Okay. His mentor was Peter Drucker. Okay. He was an East Texas uh, businessman from Tyler, Texas, who drew a, uh, grew a cable business to be a large number. He sells it. He's at halftime. He's in Dallas. He's a intellectual guy. Uh, he's a he's been in YPO since the beginning. He, he's really probably one of the founders of the forum concept. And he took basically YPO concepts that he had learned, combined it with what we've been talking about just right here about the faith component or the whole life picture of success. And he found that people were flocking to him to talk about that because they were relating to the story. So this guy ends up writing a book called Halftime. Okay. It's been an incredibly successful book. I've been around the world and the amount of people that know about that book, every CEO um, at some point hear about the book Halftime. Yep. Um, it's, it fascinates me. So his then a guy that he mentored, a co-founder of the Halftime Institute. So he takes a book, they form a Halftime Institute. 
i.e. like the Drucker Institute, right. and, and they start creating opportunities for CEOs to come and think out loud this, this topic that we're talking about. I was in my 20s. I didn't have a business. I called him and I said, <laughs> dude, I'm this young man. I, I'm still in college. Yep. I was still in college. I said, I don't get it. How do you, you know, if this is the picture of a Christian, successful businessman, husband, father, and I'm not talking about just my dad, but all these people that they're describing, I'm like, I don't get it. I don't, I don't want it. Yep. Help me. And to be honest with you, as you know, people are seeking your wisdom. You know, if you, if you just talked to everybody and gave everybody you got, everything you had, you, you, you would also be in an extreme, probably burned out situation. Yep. So he was wise enough to start sending me some books and sending me just words of encouragement on a one card letter. And it changed my life. The guy that, mentor, that he mentored is a guy named Lloyd Reeb, who wrote the uh, follow-up book called Success to Significance. You see the trend here. Yep. And I met him when I owned my business, 10 years later after I met Bob at least. And I just tackled him at a conference in California and wrestled him down and put him in a chokehold and said, I want to know everything you know. So curiosity and seeking answers is out of desperation and, yep. and is, is how I found it. And even when we really started talking early on, and it, it, you really have to kind of put your heart where your mouth is because it's really easy to say you're going to make a lot of these sacrifices and then you walk into the office at 8 o'clock that morning and totally go full speed on that jet fighter pilot and forget the sacrifices that you're going to make and you do that day after day. What were some of the like early things that started resonating with you that were things that you started implementing early in your life that you could have easily not done had you not been intentional about them? I'll give you a huge example. Um, and it was crazy to think like this, but so we sold our family business, my dad's business, and I was just out of graduate school. And he had lived the American dream. He's now successful. I'm his only son. I was groomed my whole life to run his company. And all of a sudden, I've got no job, no future. We set up a single family office in downtown Fort Worth. I think maybe I'd been coming up there a month, dressing a little nicer than I did going to the office on Hewland and working yeah. in rock quarries, probably trying to look the part a little bit of an investment office. And one day I walked in and he said, you know, I got a thought for you. You can come down here every day and we can look all successful and manage this money and you can be miserable or go do what I raised you to do and go buy a company. And by the way, typical of him, that meant go buy a company, but I, you know, not with my money, right. uh, figure out what money you can scrounge up and take your savings account and figure it out. I'll, I'll do what I can to help you. But Chris, the point I wanted to make. Because I'd already been influenced by Bob Buford and my upbringing, I had a thought come to me and I drew a 10 mile radius around my house. And I said, I'm going to find a business in that 10 mile radius and buy it because I need to be home for dinner. Yep. And what I, my wife is an independent, unbelievable woman. I wouldn't be sitting here successful without her, but she didn't care if I went to work after dinner. But I said, I'm going to be at dinner. Right. I'm going to be present at, at home and logistics matter. And that was the first major um, 
chip I threw on the table of commitment to what I was talking about. Um, and it was literally geography drove my business search. Yep. I looked at some outside the 10 miles. I might have stretched it to 20 probably, yeah. but at least I had a goal. Yeah. You know? And I did find it. Yep. And how did you find it? You know, I did due diligence on seven different companies. Okay. Um, and it was, you know, brokers to networking around town saying I was interested and and it was sitting right under my nose here in Fort Worth, Texas and found it, fortunately. So you find this business and you buy this business and you have an, an early on goal of I'm, I'm at least going to make it home for dinner. That's kind of step one. Yep. How close do you always walk to the line of I'm not going to be home for dinner? It, it's it, it's easy in practice and you can always make an excuse for I'm not going to be home for dinner because the work really is never, never ending. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, I would say every day. Yeah. It's a struggle. It's, it's not, every day. It's not as easy as um, said and done. And it's another thing to go home for dinner and then not be present at dinner. Yep. And I got scolded many times from my wife that, uh, well, thanks for being here, but you're not here. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you're like, well, well, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm better than the other dude. <laughs> I know. Uh, but that's still not good enough. Yep. Um, and so it's, uh, it's a practice that I still work on today. It never stops. Your, your priorities may be there. You may be intentional. It's another thing to execute it with authenticity and, and the right attitude and the different segments of your life. One of the things that you have successfully done, which I think is something that a lot of business owners, especially Christian owners, struggle with, is allowing their faith to help guide how they run their business. Their faith doesn't sit kind of on the side for Sundays and then they run their business during the week. I know I struggle with it all the time. Um, what are some things like, how did you approach using faith in your business? Um, and how are you intentional about that? You might be surprised. I took a very, um, I wouldn't say it was passive, but I think to be in the business world today, you have to be um, open. It was not, um, for example, I didn't just hire Christians. Yeah. Um, I prayed before the company meals, but I said, you can pray to whoever, whatever you want. I'm not here to tell you that, but this is who I'm praying to. And actually, I, so I'm the guy saying the prayers are just, but again, um, you're free to think how you want to think. So I, I say that to, to set the stage for, it, it was not a, um, it was not a, um, evangelistic right. effort with mouth. Yep. I wanted, a man told me that you hear the walk or talk, that yes, that's one. The other one that I love is that it's caught, not taught. Yep. And I knew I never wanted to be hypocritical. And I, while the Lord sees me as a saint, I know I'm a sinner. Yeah. And so I never want to overstep that bounds here on earth with someone and where I would misrepresent the Lord in any way. However, I made it very clear that I use the term oftentimes, hey, your CEO is Forrest Gump. Yep. He's not the smartest guy in the class. We have competitors with more money, with more smarts. Uh, they live in a bigger city where businesses are just admired more because they're from New York or San Francisco or whatever. And we're sitting here in Fort Worth, Texas, and I'm scared to death. And so I'm just being honest with you. I want all the help I can get. And so we're asking God yeah. for help. <laughs> yep. And I just used honesty and transparency. Yep. And I also hoped to model 
what a man of faith looked like. Again, was not perfect, but it was very clear what I was trying to accomplish to the point one day later in life, um, we had a major setback. Our building caught on fire and I felt like I was being jobed. I'm like, okay, God, you know, I'm trying to be, you know, different. I'm trying to honor you. I'm trying to be a man of integrity. And I've got all these darts being thrown at me from the competitors and everything else. And, you know, people wanting raises, all the things, the pressures that you have, a wife wanting you to be home and be present. And you burn, you allow my building to burn where I don't even have a place to, to make a living. And, um, I remember being, you know, doubting and being mad. So through the process, I had our pastor come out, Ted Kitchens, and I wanted him to just hug on me and cry on me, you know, and say, poor you. And he walked through the fire and he looked at me and he said, you know what, man, you're just going to have to suck it up. And I said, that's not what I was really wanting to hear from you. (laughs) Um, And it was the best advice I ever had, but I brought him in front of the whole company that day. And I said, you never met my pastor. I don't talk about my pastor, but I want you to know, I don't have a board, Yep. but I report to this man. I basically submit myself under him. He is a mentor of mine and he's someone that is a leader in my life. And those kinds of moments in the business, man, they, the people are like, what? Yeah. Uh, but wow. And when I left that business, those were the things that people remembered. Yep. And I, and, and, I think you set that stage kind of perfectly for my next question, which stems off of a quote that is your favorite quote by Robert Greenleaf, to be a great leader, you must first be a great follower. And I think uh, one of the things that not only have we talked about, but continues to come up when people talk about you is being a model for kind of servant leadership, which I think is another representation of your faith. Again, the idea in talking about this isn't for people to think they have to go have this evangelical company where, you know, Bible scriptures are written all over the walls. In fact, you don't have to mention it at all, but you lead by your actions. And again, it just comes up over and over is your um, kind of belief in servant leadership. So I wanted to dive in, like, what is servant leadership and what does that mean to you? Well, first of all, it kind of just, maybe this is a a little bit of a sidetrack, but um, when I talk to the leaders in my business, and when I talk to guys like you, I think the higher you are paid, the higher you are on the organizational chart, the more it matters who you are, not what you can do. People leave managers, they don't leave companies. And so I had to look in the mirror on that every day and say, am I someone that is worthy to follow? Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's key. Yep. But I would come back to say on servant leadership, it, and again, I always said, and I grew up um, with, a, with, with mentors and people that always said, if, you, if you're not willing to do it, don't ask someone else to do it. So I grew up, you know, watching leaders pick up the trash on the company tour. Yep. And so how can you expect your company to pick up trash? And I say, if they do the little things, they're going to do the big things. Right. And so seeing a leader be the, be the one picking up the trash, usually you can look through the organization and they're going to have a servant's heart. They're going to be humble workers. And, um, and so it's just, you know, I mean, again, you can look at Jesus, you can look at a lot of great leaders and they were known for when you were in their presence, you didn't 
feel like they were looking down at you. Right. And so that was huge for me. My dad was like that. I used to watch, I'd be working in the plants and he would come through and I'm in a faraway city and he would come through and they'd say, man, the morale for six months after he leaves is up. Yep. And it's because he went to the guy that was sweeping the floor and that guy felt like he was right there at his level with him and appreciating him. And he followed Ken Blanchard's um, number one statement that was now was, was I was imparted to me as a leader. And he said, catch people doing something right. That is a much better philosophy than being someone that sets a bar and is looking for uh, ways to hammer the people for what they're doing wrong, yep. thinking that that's going to get them to the edge of the, uh, to the, to the point of success. And so I think all those features, um, and again, uh, take away the, 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 Jesus is God component. Um, I don't want you to take away that, but I mean, that guy alone, he walked around asking questions. Yep. He could have just hammered it right on people, but he chose to spend time with them and ask them questions and bring them along so that it became their idea, yep. that it became something that they'd be willing to die for. Well, that's a great example in business. If you have employees that are authentically self-driven you've got a much better workforce than you do with someone who's trying to obey the rules, you know, click the clock, get a check and, uh, and dread being there. So I'm going to create, I'm going to bridge, um, what we just talked about with, so you bought an employee recognition company, which Correct. is what you just got done talking about. Your dad was one of the best at, yes. which eventually turned into a company called inspire us, Correct. like inspire us. We don't have to go into the fundamentals of growing the business, but you had a window for 20 years of how people treated their employees and treated their people. I just want to talk a little bit about that. What is like the low hanging fruit that if companies aren't even thinking about these kind of things, you're kind of set to be a failure from the beginning because you saw how the best treat their people and probably how the worst treat their people. Is there anything over that 20 years that just stood out to you? Well, I mean, I, I was serving corporate America um, from the East Coast to the West Coast and um, spent a lot of time in the HR offices. Yep. This was not something that I was getting a whole lot of C-level conversations. I was in YPO, fortunately, so I was getting the C-level exposure from them on what they thought about recognition. So let me just focus on recognition yep. for a second because yep. I think it's just it's it's not what you should – uh, hang your whole culture on. Right. However, let me just tell you my story. I found that what I, I bought a jewelry company, Yep. transformed it into a software company that was, you know, that, you know, <laughs> and there were about three or four major transformations, but about a hundred year old jewelry company ended up selling a software platform and an employee engagement uh, business. However, I still go back to People were looking for, give me the formal trick where I can just flip a switch and make my company a great place to work. Right. Well, it doesn't exist, but I was trying to find that for them because we get busy and we forget about our people. Right. It just happens. So what we started off in doing was we used the tenure of employees because it's on the calendar, like your wedding anniversary, to force the manager to stop and say thank you. They need something formal to yep. help them be great. Yep. <laughs> and 
service awards, everybody says, well, why should I recognize someone for 10 years being in my business or sitting on that chair over there? Well, to me, that's a manager's problem. If you think that all he's doing is sitting over there on that bench for 10 years, you're not a good leader. He ought to be gone. Yep. Fire him if that's all he does and you're wishing he was doing something else or fire yourself. Right. More, more appropriately, probably. Right. However, if he's made it, I know my employees, if they've made it with me in 10 years, they have given it all. Yep. And I want to stop and celebrate that moment. Hopefully I'm doing it daily, but that was a calendar event. When you have a hundred thousand employees, there's some calendar events and some training that we can do. And do we, do we talk about the years of service? No, that's just the moment. Yep. So pick out three things that those people do well. Pick out the three things that, that those people do that make a difference amongst their peers yep. and talk about them in front of their peers. It will give you momentum like nothing you've ever seen, more than a bonus and more than a paycheck. And that public recognition is is a one-on-one conversation uh, in front of the whole company, everything in between or? Everything in between, but for sure, something in front of at least their team of peers around them, their department, Yep. Um, depending on the size of your business. We did it. I mean, we had 125 people when I sold the business and we got together every month and I pulled those people up in front of all 125 and praised them. That's what we're going to jump into right now because this is where I think the story really gets going is as, as much as I want to talk about the success of Inspirus, I want to talk about how in the sale of it and how that's set up really what you're focused on right now. But I do want to talk just a little bit about the sale of the business because that's something I haven't had on this podcast as somebody that's really sold and what that's like. When did you know that it was time to sell this business or did somebody just give you, did somebody bring you an offer and that turned a switch on in your mind? The latter. Really? So you weren't thinking about selling when you sold? I'll be honest with you. I think every entrepreneur thinks every day, is it time? Could it be time? Would it be time? I would love for it to be time because as an entrepreneur, you, you do get a salary, but you're, you're way upside down. Right. And you know, while money is, you know, we talk a lot about money, you and I do, Chris, it is a big part of the scorecard. It doesn't bring you the, the, the answers that we think it does, but it is how you keep score in a lot of ways. And so, as an entrepreneur, I don't know about you, but for many, many years, I'm do, I'm running a company. I'm a president of a company and my friends are all making a heck of a lot more money than I was. Yep. And so I'll be honest, I'm human. Yeah, I was, I wished probably every day for 20 years, someone would come by and offer me something I couldn't turn down. That's, that's just part of the dream. Yep. So somebody brings you an offer. Did that happen years before you committed to sell or did that offer lead to what that, ended up being the sale that offer led to the sale and where did it come from had somebody heard that you might be interested or they were um, watching you someone um knew the 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 buyer and they were looking for a company that looked something like mine in our industry yeah. and that in between person which we both knew um it, it was pure and simple a, a probably a small conversation saying i think you ought to look at these guys yeah and that it was not an investment banker. It was not anybody. It was it was a relationship. Does your mind cross a th- like a point of no return where you've been running this business for 20 years? Your heart and soul is in it every single day. Your people have been with you forever. It's really all you know. And all of a sudden, the offers become so real that it's almost like 
I can't, I can't go back to thinking the way I used to think about the business. I have got to get to a sale. Does that, does that occur? It does. Um, I fortunately had mentors and through my YPO forum and other, I knew that, and now I'm in the deal business. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm an investor. I, I buy companies and I know that a deal can fall apart in the last hour. Yep. And so I fortunately would as much as, of course, uh, you, you, I'm human. I was like, man, this has got to go through because yeah. you've, you've danced this long <laughs> and you know what's coming and, you know, all the good things about it. But I every day fought myself and said, you can't go there. How long you've did got, it take? It took uh, from the moment we met them, it was close to two years. From start to finish. Yes. This was not an auction where yeah. it's 90 days, you know racing to the closing. Yep. Um, this was a, a long and it was a very large public company. So the due diligence that we went through, they took us through was uh, very extensive. Were there days that you didn't think it would close? You will have many of those days. Yes. In any deal. If you had to give somebody a few words of wisdom that might be thinking about selling their company for the first time, what would you tell them? First of all, I would tell. Or they're any, a first-time seller. I, I would just say this to every entrepreneur: your business is not for sale, but run it so that the day that that does happen, you are not all of a sudden trying to clean your company up. Right. Get out of your financials. Get your personal life out of your financials. Get your company clean. Run it like you don't own it, and you will think be thankful when the moment comes, if someone came along that you didn't invite to want to buy your business, even if you were going to auction your business, the investment banker is going to come in and do all that for you right. um, and, and require you, which will, will delay your ability to get to market because he'll be spending six months trying to professionalize your business. So do it today. Did you need, did you have prior years audited financials along the way? reviewed and yeah. then audited. Uh, fortunately, one of my teammates uh, at the end there was, uh, had investment banking background and yep. he said, but you know, it's not easy to say, well, let's just, you know, throw down 50 K to yeah. get our business audited um, in case we sell, you know, yeah. um, I, I could spend 50 K on writing code and get a lot more for it. Right. Um, we fortunately made that decision and it was the right one. So you sold your business in 2016, and I'm going to read your mission statement, which is really what you're hoping to accomplish the second half of your life, which is to use my leadership experiences, my network, my financial blessings to serve high capacity leaders in thriving organizations. Let's talk about that. How did you come up with that? And was that something that you knew immediately that you were going to do as soon as that was a mission that you were on prior to selling? Or did that take some some reflection now that you didn't have an office to show up to every day anymore? It took a lot of reflection. While that sounds like uh, one long sentence, yep. um, it started off with probably um, literally a year worth of coaching and a lot of drafts and a lot more words and a lot more pictures um, and a lot more um, exploring. Yep. And the goal here is to get it to the fewest words so that I can remember it and actually live by it. And so I, uh, I love reading that, that sentence. Thank you for reading. It yeah. sounds really good. Yeah. Um, and I love trying to, to live it. Well, I'll talk about kind of two things. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about you, what you built was a roadmap. So 
one of the things you've told me is it's really easy to like say all those things and this is what I'm going to do. And I th this goes back to just business. It's very easy to say things you're going to do. The act of actually writing it out and having a plan, it seems like we do it in every area of our lives except for our personal lives. So when we have a business idea, we write a plan and we have a meeting and we measure it and we set new goals. But when we talk about our personal life, it's often like, I want to get really healthy, but you have like no plan on how to do it. I'm going to hire a trainer. I'm going to go twice a week. I'm going to, you know, eat healthy. And this is how I'm going to be with my wife. This is how I'm going to be with my kids. This is how I'm going to do things for my faith. These are the things I'm still going to do in business. You created what's called um, a roadmap. And we went through this exercise a year ago. And I wanted to just open it up to you to just talk about this roadmap and how you've constructed it and how it shapes your life. Well, first of all, I have to give credit to the Halftime Institute and my my coach, which is Lloyd Reeb, um, who took me. One of the things I did when I sold my business, I said, I've been a part of coaching, you know, executive coaching. I've seen people sell their business and be miserable in two years because their whole identity was wrapped up in their business and now they don't have their business mm -hmm. and they, while they have money, they're completely depressed and miserable. That scared me too. So the roadmap is a one page, you know, it, it, let's call this like we do in businesses. Some people run their business by their budget. Right. And I think they, they, sh they do not reach the potential right. that year. The budget, in my opinion, is a guideline. Yep. It's a, it's, it's provides some guardrails and some guidance. That's what this roadmap is, because if, if I'll just say it, if God were to bring something in my life today that I didn't expect or, you know, I need to react to it. And so there is some spontaneity to life, but I believe it's also biblical and smart in business to plan. And so the roadmap here that you and I have in front of us is a one page document that encompasses we call it the perfect life metrics. You know, we, we start off with just saying if life was perfect, what would it look like? We'll write that down and let's start from there. Now, again, sometimes a perfect life might not be the, the life you want. <laughs> After you write it down, you look at it and you're like, well, whoa, I can't believe that's what I think. Yeah. But you got to get it down. So I, I, I want to come back to that, that, um, that statement, my mission statement. I'll give you just one example of what looks like simple words, but is a huge deal. It says that I want to serve high capacity leaders. Well, that word was a huge struggle because sure enough, as I sit on boards, which I do very little of, I don't want to sit on a lot of boards, but as I get involved with businesses and I get involved with any kind of organization, whether it be profit or nonprofit, you know, you sit in that room and you come up, you've had good experience and you're maybe a decent business guy. You come up with some great ideas and then all of a sudden all the eyes start looking at you and they say, would you run it? Yep. And so the word serve is huge because I want to serve high capacity leaders, not be one. Yep. I am done I've just made a decision. I am not going to be a CEO of a business again. I want to serve CEOs of businesses. I want to invest in them and I want to serve them to reach their potential, which will be, if it's good for them, it will be good for me from an invest investor standpoint. But I want to do the same thing that I do with you. It's, it's not just about business. It's hopefully I can influence their life. Yep. 
And that would be an honor if that were to happen. Otherwise, yeah, I can help them business-wise. But, right. I, but I hope to have the opportunity to talk about the bigger picture. Yep. Um, so I, I say all that to say that each word here matters. And it took a long time for me to get to this one sentence. Um, back to the roadmap, Chris, you know, it talks about, uh, again, if my priorities for me or, or, you know, and my goal early in life was, and the big question was, can you please God? Can you please your wife? Can you please your kids and family? Can you somehow have fun and stay fit and win in the workplace and keep your integrity? I mean, I was like, I don't know. Something's (laughs) got to give. And there are moments, of course, something is giving. But I wrote it down. And if Tiger Woods back then, you and I are Tiger Woods fans. um, Back then, he was the best driver and he was the best putter. And he was the best guy hitting the greens. And everybody's like, no one's ever been able to do all of that. And I just remember that was in some of the top parts of my career. And I remember if he can do that, then why can't we do this? Yep. And it just, it just opened my eyes to saying, why would God put things in front of us that, that we fail, that we fail at? You know I mean? I think he created work. I know he did. He created a spouse. He created these kids. I think there is a way to please him. And I, I believe very much so that you can win in all those categories. And the roadmap for me is there it, on one page. It has those categories and it has um, what I'm working towards. What are the uh, obstacles that are keeping me from if, if, if perfection happened, what's keeping me from doing that? Well, it's written down here. I know what my obstacles are. I know what my capacity to achieve the goals are. And I know who can help me because they're on these pages. And it, uh, it's just a great thing to have on my wall right next to my desk. We, and I'm not going to read the actual details, but for listeners, um, it has your perfect life metrics. So the things that, that you could say down the road, I'm living a perfect life if these things are happening. Um, you've written down your spouse's dream. So it's really easy for us to think about our dreams. But very often don't have as much of a clue what our spouse's dreams without being intentional about it. Um, and then you have a vision for your family and that kind of headlines the paper, uh, the, the, the sheet. And then you have your action areas. Um, you have your desired results within each action area, the capacity requirements for that action area, uh, your obstacles for that action area, um, what you're going to do and who can help you. I think that who can help you pay uh, spot is huge um, because in all of those, you're not depending on yourself to do all these. You've really laid out like these are people in my life that can help me achieve these things. And we've talked about it really often is um, like you are who you surround yourself with. You're an average of the people that you keep closest. I learned that from you. Uh, I've practiced it, but yeah. I've not known that saying and I've learned that from you and I love it. I use it all the time. And well, you are the... but. You've done it unintentionally or unintentionally your whole life. You have even going back to being 21 and reaching out to uh, Mr. Buford, you have always been a seeker of just putting the right people in your life. And I can't say it enough, but just putting one person in your life that's different can change everything about your life in both a positive and a negative way. So I've, I've been working on my roadmap. We've been working on it for a year. It's not a static deal that once you write it once, it's over. How have, often do you, yeah. re- like, what is this, how does this play a role like throughout a year? I can show you my computer and I have shown you, but um, I've been doing this for, 
I know 20 years and I have um, so many versions because it's a work in process. Right. It's not something that's done and you, you know, put it in a, in a frame. Yep. Uh, I don't even frame it because it changes. It can change tomorrow. Right. I mean, something can happen in my life tomorrow where, you know, where Rainy and I want to, you know, have a perfect life of taking vacations and all of a sudden, you know, something happens in our family or something happens in our workplace where we don't have the time to go on those vacations. Right. Um, I, I don't know if that's a good example, but you have to, this is a guide. Yep. So a question on you now are, and would you call yourself a partner with the hundred X forum and halftime Institute? So you lead a forum of how many guys? Uh, our current forum is six men. Okay. So you have six men and you have created this forum and it's a 12 month program that kind of goes through and I'll read it. 12 month journey that includes a confidential and exclusive peer group of high capacity leaders, personalized individual coaching and a proven process for gaining clarity and leverage in the second half of your life. I'm not asking you to tell personal details about anybody in your forum, but you've been around this world for over a decade. What are the things that people in their second half that have fumbled and screwed it up on the way up? What are some of the common things that are most pointed to? Is it their marriage? Is it relationships with their kids? Is it, I don't care near as much about money as I thought I did? Um, is there anything that stands out? I'm going to add one little thing to your question okay. or, or to the, to the scenario here. Cause why would I have, why, why should I be sitting in that forum with men that are oftentimes older than me, ran bigger companies than yep. me, et cetera. Two reasons. One, um, because I've been around business my whole life, it, it, it just exposed me to, to information that I think was unique. But also, I've been in a YPO forum. I have missed one meeting in over 22 years. I have been sitting in a room once a month for a half a day with CEOs for all of my career hearing the hearing a man talk about what he's struggling with or a woman but the uh so i say men but it it, it has been majority men um but but the same is in effect for for women as well yeah but but let me just say this so if you hear me saying god wife kids business well-being it's because what I've been listening to for over 20 years, yep. at some point, a man says, I don't know where I'm going when I die. I don't know if I love my wife anymore, or I don't know if she loves me, but yet I've won all these things in the marketplace. And my kids are showing signs of rebellion and, and behavior that I'm not proud of. And I'm fat and miserable. Yep. <laughs> I've been listening to it. It's the same story over and over. It's every, it's every CEO's challenge. At some point, we're struggling with one of those categories. Yep. And so all I can tell you is I'm sitting there doing what I've been doing for 25 years with these guys. I'm just a player coach. Lloyd is my partner in this effort, and he's a thought leader. Yep. But I'm a guy that I can just look at him and say, I hear you. I feel you. Yep. I relate to you. I, 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 all I do is tell them stories of either myself or someone that I've come in contact with that that story might help them make a better decision today to re relieve them of the pain 
or the discomfort or the distraction or remove a hurdle from them to achieve the, the opportunities that they have, both in, in life and in business. And, and I get to, to cheat a little by working on these things earlier on in life. How does someone that's already in their 50s or 60s, even if they become aware of all this stuff, is the damage already done? Or yes. is there a way to turn this around? No, there's damage done. But that's the beauty. The reason why, you know, in YPO, faith uh, is not necessarily, I would say, allowed. Um, you know, you would never impose your faith on a, on a member. Um, it's just the protocol. And I love that. I've been a part of it, and it's, it's been incredible. Over here at 100X, um, I, and I've watched in YPO, there's just one level deeper that I wish we could go. Um, again, doesn't mean we all have to worship the same thing, but every person I've come across with in a professional business organization like YPO, they still have a heart and a soul and they're worried about it. So we get to talk about it over here. It, it's just a part of the solution. So yes, the damage is done, but the reason why I talk about faith uh, is because that's when grace and mercy gets to come into play. Yep. And grace is a freaking wonderful thing. And it's just cool to be able to tell someone, you know the saying, it's lonely at the top. Yep. And I'm telling you in every one of these meetings with all these men over the years, it's lonely at the top. And just to have someone sit there and say, man, I hear you and stop beating your, you know, there are consequences to our failures. There are consequences to our choices, but there's grace, there's forgiveness and there's mercy. And it's never too late to go back to your family and say, I'm sorry. You may think you've burned the bridge all the way down and it's never all the way down. Your children and your wife are dying to hear that one admittance of humanity and humility and most cases asking for forgiveness for a wrong that you've made because we've all done it. But not many of us have the, maybe the know-how, the freedom, or they don't know that there's going to be a more receptive audience than you think. And it's not for sure that it just gets better tomorrow because, hey, you spent 10 years wearing the thing out. Yep. It's not going to be fixed tomorrow. But you, the first step is just like in any other kind of self-help type thing. You've got to face it and confess it and ask for forgiveness. And, and you're on your road to, to improving the situation. I think um, for anybody listening that is in a position that they could join YPO and has thought about it, maybe you don't even know about it, I can without a doubt say it has been the biggest life changer for me. And I'm only, th I've been in it for three to three and a half years. But to what you just said, anybody who thinks it's just going and just sharing business tips, it couldn't be further from that. You learn a lot about business. Um, but just having a, a group of eight guys where you can just there, how many places in your life can you literally just kind of talk, get it all out, be tot in a confidential setting, let everything that's on your mind kind of, you know, into somebody's ears that'll listen and not only listen, but care and give it back. It is one of the coolest situations um, I can think of. And, and some people listening might think, oh, I can go to anybody and just tell them what I'm up to, but you really don't. And to have someone consistently every month that you know is going to have an open ear and is going to be thinking about you that month and giving you advice or 
introducing you to somebody that could help or, and it's not just the negative things, it's the positive things too, but the whole, it's lonely at the top. It's lonely a lot of times because you can't get a lot off your chest. Um, there's people that either won't understand what you're going through. And that happens in all settings in life. You don't have to be a CEO to, to only be lonely in your own field or whatever you're working on. It can get lonely, but if you have a chance to join YPO, it, if I were to give a list of the five things it, you know, anybody should do in their life, that, that might be one of them. It has been huge. And, and the hundred X forum, the halftime Institute follows the same model, but has a faith-based element to it is really yeah, I enjoy um, and and feel we're all called to serve the poor, and uh, a lot of people don't feel sorry for YPOers or people of of means of running businesses. But um, you know, there is a saying in the Bible that it's harder for a rich man to enter the gates of heaven than it is a camel to get through the eye of a needle. Yep. Well, I don't know if you've looked at a camel lately, and I don't know if you've seen the eye of a needle lately, but that's a pretty difficult situation. <laughs> and uh, I have a heart for these people. Yep. And um, it's just something I've found that for some reason I'm learning, but I'm also helpful to others. And it's an enjoyable thing to take what I've learned and what's been given to me and give it back to someone else. And speaking of that, part of the second half of your life has been very involved uh, with philanthropy, but one in particular, River Tree. There were a couple things. You're the chairman of the River Tree, which helps um, underprivileged children in a Christian based school setting. How did you pick that? Um, and I remember you telling me you were really intentional about what you were going to support. Just because you had made money from selling your business didn't mean everybody got a check. You were really going to focus in on something that you could have an impact. Why was this the big thing for you? Well, it, it even ties back to my roadmap and my experience with listening to men that are transitioning into midlife. Oftentimes they look at their wife and they're 50 years old and they said, she's been hanging out with the kids. I've been working and we got nothing in common. Yep. Well, as I was transitioning out of my business, by the way, the day we sold, I came home, we've closed, we have a bank account that looks a lot different. And I come in looking like King Kong, we've won, honey, <laughs> let's go anywhere you want to go, let's do it. It's Friday afternoon, I just had the biggest day of my life. And I said, let's go. And she says, we're not going anywhere. I didn't sell my company. Yep. I'm like, we didn't, you didn't want. <laughs> and she's like, we still have kids at home. We've got two more years. And I just said, oh my God. And I'll never forget it. It was about an hour later. We were sitting at the high school football game. We didn't go anywhere. We went right to the high school football game. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm in a waiting period. I'm waiting for my wife to finish her job. Yep. But part of what she was doing for a living was working within River Tree Academy. River Tree Academy is a, a privately held school in, um, in an African-American community here in Fort Worth, Texas called Como. And it is literally about two miles. It's two of your drivers and a nine iron from yeah. our house. It's so awesome. You know, we, I've done missionary work in India and other places around the world. And it is so cool to just be able to drive five minutes and be in, a, in an opportunity challenged um, with, with what the, uh, with what that community has is, is as big a challenge as anything I've seen in the world, poverty to, to broken family, to, you know, education. And again, remember, I'm not the smartest kid in the class. So why would I be involved with a school? And it's just because that was an organization. I'm not a startup entrepreneur, Chris, as you know, 
I'm someone that sees a good idea is going and then I help them get it to where they want it to go. Yep. That's what I did with my business. I didn't start this company. Uh, it was moving and I was capable of uh, fortunate enough to take their idea and actually make a business out of it. And so the same with the school. So my wife's working in the school. She's the volunteer, volunteer coordinator. <laughs> She's doing a full-time job for them for free. She's uh, bringing in all of the volunteers to the school every day, 120 people a week. She schedules every minute of their time there. And that's a lot of emails and a lot of, of scheduling. However, um, she's because she's involved with a small organization, she hears their need. And I'm coming out of my, by the way, all of a sudden when you sell your business, all of a sudden people start inviting you to be on boards and <laughs> do certain things. So yep. success does bring all of a sudden a spotlight to maybe this guy is worthy of hanging around. Is it because of his money uh, or his talents? I don't know. I hope both. Yep. Well, in River Tree's sake, um, you know, it wasn't the money because we were already supporting it. Um, there was an opportunity for me to help the organization. And what a cool thing to be able to serve alongside of my wife, serve the founder. Again, I'm not the leader of that school. I'm serving the founder. The founder is a man I respect with everything I got. He lived in the community. He moved in, He has skin in the game. And just something that like you and I think about every day, like riding a bike, running an organization, I was able to help him with, and I hope it will be rewarded greatly for the school. I'm, I'm enjoying it. Um, it's a big part of what I think about. It's a big part of what I do with my time. And I hope one day again, uh, my kids will be able to say we were a part of that as a family um, and that uh, we influenced it for our city. I love it. And you've been intentional that there are a lot of problems around the world, but there's also a lot of problems in our own cities. And there's a lot of stuff that you can can do. And I'm going to pivot a, a little bit. We haven't talked about being a father. So you have three daughters. I have two daughters. I get a lot of advice on how to be the father to girls and even what you can do when they're two and a half and six weeks old. You worked on your marriage. You worked on your business. You worked on your faith. But um, a big point of our discussion has always just been being a father. What are things um, that you did throughout time that helped you get more time with your kids, which always seems to be super fleeting, like you're checking all these boxes. Um, one of them was you took them on father-daughter trips. Explain why that was important and what that means. It was just a tip from a YPO or in a forum meeting. Yep. Guess what? There it is again. Mm -hmm. um, and I am one of my biggest insecurities is can I be a good father to three girls? Yep. I, I don't have a son. I, I have this incredible relationship with my dad and my mom. Um, but I, I, this is an area that I was worried about. Could I be successful? And, and that, that trip as, as an example was, and again, you, you look at these people to help, you know, go find a mentor, go find a dad that's you feel done it right and ask him questions. That's all it was. I just asked the guy, well, so what are you doing? He goes, have you ever heard of a father daughter trip? I'm like, well, they're so young. He's like, hey, the zoo. Yeah. And then one day it was New York City. Yep. And what happened to me in those 24 or 48 hours was because, uh, again, I'm at work. I'm trying to be a good husband. I would not say I would, you know, I won the award for the amount of time I spent with my daughters. I don't know what my scorecard would be if I asked him. I do ask my scorecard. It wasn't about the amount of time, but those are moments that were so big in building my relationship with them that it, 
time was not a factor. It was the, the, the quality of that time. And so I highly recommend it. You know, one of the things that I've talked to you about and I've talked to a forum about, there's kind of two best practices that I learned from men over years is one, take your wife once a quarter, get her away for a night. And you're like, well, she don't, she doesn't want to leave the kids. Well, my wife didn't either. Yeah. They're maniacally focused like we are in our businesses. And they think that that would be not being a good mother, getting them away. But if you don't keep your relationship hot one day, it won't be. And the kids are gone. And all of a sudden that's the scenario of, I don't know my wife back to the kids. It was creating moments that, you know, you and I talk about, again, it was kind of back to golf, but how can you, you know, you talk to PGA golfers and they talk about giving themselves an opportunity to make a birdie, yep. which means hit the middle of the green and putt to the corners, whatever it may be in that day's round. But for me, that it just hit me between the eyes. And I'm like, what am I doing? I got to get on the green. I got to get on the green with God because I'm not naturally waking up, loving reading the Bible and being this long prayer guy. And, all, you know, I can't remember scripture. I can barely remember, you know, names. <laughs> So I feel like I'm a, you know, just a bum, yep. but I, I got to put myself on the green. So I get myself into studies or get around mentors to help me. Same thing with, with my girls. It was, that was getting on the green. I know how to take a trip. Yep. I know how to walk around New York city, holding hands and taking them in shops and, and, and just enjoying time with them. I, I know how to do that. Yep. And those were the things that were successful for me. And I'm saying, you know, if there is success, um, Again, I'm sure I've done something uh, that my kids will need to go to counseling for. But those moments, and for me, it's the walk around the block. I'm killing like one thing that Lloyd teaches is how do you leverage your time? Well, guess what? I walk around the block with someone like your wife or your kid. You're killing two birds with one stone. You're getting health and you're getting time with a loved one Um, or a podcast. I've listened to your podcast walking around my neighborhood. I'm getting health. I'm getting some vitamin D, I'm getting some airtime, and I'm getting to hear my buddy do his thing. And I'm learning. I mean, it's just what you got to be intentional about everything you do. That's a long answer to your your story. but, But what I've done with my girls is, and they are now... Uh, my oldest daughter just started her career in Denver, Colorado. She has her first corporate job at full time as of this week. I have a sophomore at the University of Texas. Both the oldest and the and the middle one are in the were in the honors business school, the University of Texas. And you might think, well, man, you must have just talked about business all the time. Nope. Let me go back to the success one for me is I married Rainy Chambers. She is on the front lines. And one of the things that you got to figure out sometimes is are you supposed to be on the front lines or should she be on the front lines? Well, it was very clear that she needed to be on the front lines with my girls. And so I got counsel from a mentor. He said, you need to be her water boy. And I think if I look back, while I felt guilty, sometimes I was not in the room reading the books. I was just making sure that Rainy had the water and that I was doing the dish or whatever it needed to give her the capacity to do what I knew was the bell ringer, which was she was forming their brains in there. And so why would I leave the laundry, the dishes or whatever it may be for her to do all that as well? And so you got to look for opportunities to help the right person on the front lines too. That's servant leadership, right? So I think that also helped with my girls. But the, the main thing I did was 
not be on the front lines with my kids on education. <laughs> that was rainy and yeah. find ways where I'm to be on the front lines, where I'm to be on the green, making it happen. But then always learning what does a, what does a loving godly father of a woman look like? And you got to do that by going to ask people that have got experience. You said something that I'll probably never forget when we were chatting about that. Um, and it's not just for girls, it's for kids. But the closest that they will come, and maybe it was for girls, but the closest they will ever come um, to seeing their Lord and Savior will be through their father. So let me let me rephrase that a little bit. Um, it was uh, Ted Kitchens. I brought him over. We did a, uh, you know, basically a baby dedication at our house. It's my oldest daughter, so I'm a new father. And he, we had, he had a little moment with me, and he said, Pete, in his years of counseling— that the image that most girls have of God is very similar to the image of their earthly father. So walk your talk, know that your actions and your behavior matters because it's forming their image. It's a big part of their beginning relationship of who God is. Is God just a man of rules and dictatorship and short anger? Or is he a man of, uh, of love, patience, kindness, understanding, and wisdom? So I'm going to bring it home with um, a painting that you have. And I think it's one that, that I've seen a bunch. We've talked about it a lot. And it's actually something that my father used to talk to me a lot about, which was along the lines of, um, you know, if, if it all ended today, what are you leaving here on earth, what are people going to remember you by? And if you would talk just a little bit about this painting that you have and how it impacted your life. And I think it is an overarching theme of everything we've talked about today and how you've kind of um, gone about your life. Yeah, it was a pretty cool experience. Again, it was at the Halftime Institute and a guy was talking about life and about, you know, at the end of the day, if there is a God and he truly does care and, and, and it really does matter what we're doing here, then I guess we're going to have to account for it. Um, the scriptures say that we will. So that means we're going to walk through the pearly gates and we're going to have a, we might have a conversation. So, well, you know, he was basically saying, what's God going to say about what you did with what he gave you? And then number two, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's talking about your wife and your kids, the things that we're talking about. And there's this guy next to him and he's painting a painting. It was a, it was a, a very cool brainstorming learning uh, experience. And so it was visual and audible, right? So this guy's over here painting this painting and it is of a person laying in a coffin, but it, you don't see the person laying in the coffin because the painting is from his eyes or her eyes. And she's looking up and you see the red roses being thrown down on you. And you see a, a woman and you see some kids and you see some uh, people and then you see a light way above. Yep. And that was the artist just spontaneously painting that as he talked. And after that meeting, that artist gave me that painting and I, it's on a piece of plywood. It's a very simple uh, painting. But I take that with me, as you've seen, to first time meetings. And I say at the end of the day, what is, you know. This is what it's about. And so it, it again comes back to what's on my roadmap because I do believe there's a God up there and I do think he cares what I'm doing, which I think the main thing he cares about is what decision did I make about his son, Jesus Christ? And, and, and then 
I'm sure he has some furthering questions, but that's a big one. Yep. And, uh, because that's, that's where they're, you're going to be looking up or looking down. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm choosing to just say, I don't understand all that, but I got to, I've chosen to believe that you have to make that decision. I've made that decision, but the painting says what it, it just shows you're at that moment. Yep. And so what I work with people on, and you and I've talked about is let's work backwards from there, yep. from that moment, from that painting, let's go back to now you're 21 years old. Yep. What do you need to be doing? Why wait till you, you know, a lot of people say, well, I don't want to give my time or money to charities because I'm not there yet. I'll wait till I'm rich and have more time. Well, your generation is doing a much better job of saying, you know what? Purpose matters now. Your generation and below are giving time much better than our generation and my, my parents' generation. Yep. So those things are not only wise, but they're scientifically proven to bring joy to your life. Right. And so you work backwards from that coffin, and I think you'll make better choices in life. And I, that's if anything we can leave with people today is put yourself in that coffin and, and rewind to today and what, what choices should you be making yep. that, that when you're lying there, you will feel better, that you will say, I'm glad I did that. And the things that a lot of people hit that coffin saying, I wished I didn't do that. And good God, I spent half my life doing it. Well, if, if, if you don't want to picture yourself in, in the coffin, the other thing, and you might remember we did this was, and it's very similar, if somebody doesn't want to be in the coffin, then put yourself in this scenario, and I'll never forget this. You picture yourself at your 80th birthday party, and you're sitting in a room, and you're, the people you worked with are there, uh, your kids are there, your wife is there, and if you recall, your wife writes you a letter your kids write you a letter and your employees write you a letter and we had to read it out to each other. What would your wife tell you at your 80th birthday? What would your kids tell you at your 80th birthday? What would your employees tell you at your 80th birthday? Um, there's a bunch of grown men in there with tears in their eyes talking about what, I mean, literally thinking of Palmer, she'd be, you know, 50 years old writing about what her father meant to her over 80 years. As a 32-year-old, I feel super honored that I have a long time to make sure that letter works great. This lesson wasn't given to me when I was 79, and I have to make, you know, change everything by 79 to 80. But, you know, stuff like that can sound cheesy or corny, but it if you really put yourself in that situation and you really put yourself sitting in a room with everybody important there writing you a letter it'll have a significant impact on you. Maybe in that moment, something won't change, but if that's something that you think about on a regular basis, I just don't know how it couldn't change your, um, your life. And so the good part is, um, you know, every day we have an opportunity to change the way something was the day before. Um, it, we might not solve it that day, but you can always kind of wake up with something in your heart that says, I'm just going to change this. So I'm going to work on it. And the truth is you work on the things that are important to you. So it's really easy to say like, you know, my family is important. God's important. My business is important. But I think you told me this. Everybody always says, well, what's most important to you? Oh, it's my friends, my family, God, um, you know, playing golf and whatever. Okay. What's most important to you? Well, God, of course. Okay. How much time do you spend on that? It's like, 
the very least of all the five things that you mentioned is like, okay, well, is it really the most important? And I'm not sitting here saying that uh, just drawing it out and writing it out has changed me. What has changed me is a constant thought pattern of thinking about that stuff. You just have to be thinking about it is what puts you on the green. It's the chipping and putting. I've been working on this stuff intentionally for three years. I still feel like I have 30 to go to get anywhere close to where I want to go to, but it is the baby steps. Um, it's being super intentional and this episode and just all the time we spend together is super impactful because it's not a one time I'm going to think about it and do some things. It's a, it's a lifestyle and it's hard and it's not always the most popular lifestyle and there's things you're going to have to give up in your life. I literally couldn't imagine doing it any other way at this point. And I thank you a lot for that. I think my father, I think people that I've put you know, around my life, but it has been an intentional deal. And um, I know there's just a lot of people that struggle with similar things. Right on, man. You know, they call it the road less traveled. Uh, a statement I love is the art of great positioning is sacrifice. Yep. What are you saying yes to so that you know what you say no to? Because to accomplish this, you're going to say have to say no to a lot of things. Our our fleshly desires, our, our yeah. passions and our ability to get invited to everything under the sun um, there are distractions hitting you all day, every day. And so something like this has just helped me um, work through those uh, tough days. And so I, I wish, hopefully we've helped someone today um, think about a few things that would just make their life better. We're all in it together. And uh, there's a 100% chance that we're going to die. Yep. <laughs> and um, so you do need to think about that. Um, but I can tell you, I just spent, uh, I just put an 80, 80th birthday together for my parents this summer. And that birthday does happen. And it's your choice as to what it's going to be like. Yep. I'm so glad that this is recorded and something that I can reflect back on. Maybe Palmer will listen to one day and, and I really appreciate um, you doing this with me. I love you, Chris. I and you uh, I'll never forget when we met and when we decided that it would be a good idea to spend Friday mornings together. And it's an honor to do it. And I love you and your brother. And I hope we get to celebrate our 80th together. We will do it. Thanks, I will Mike. be before you. <laughs> Thank you. Hey everyone, it's Chris here again. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a five-star rating or write a quick review. You can also email us at thefortpodcast at gmail.com with your thoughts and comments. Thanks again, and I'll see you on the next episode.